0: 1 Samuel 18 verses 5 through 12. David did everything Saul sent him to do. He did it so well that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. That pleased Saul's whole army, including his officers. After David had killed Goliath, the men of Israel returned home. The women came out of all the towns of Israel. To meet King Saul. They danced and sang joyful songs. They played lutes and tambourines. As they danced, they sang, Saul has killed thousands of men, David has killed tens of thousands. That song made Saul very angry. It really upset him. He said to himself, They are saying David has killed tens of thousands of men. But they are saying, I've killed only thousands. The only thing left for him to get is the kingdom itself. From that time on, Saul became very jealous of David, so he watched him closely. The next day, an evil spirit that was sent by God came on Saul with power. Saul began to prophesy in his house. At that same time, David began to play the harp just as he usually did. Saul was holding a spear. He threw it at David. As he did, he said to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David got away from him twice. The Lord had left Saul and was with David. So Saul was afraid of David. Thanks, Devin. Well, David
1: trusted And Saul got busted. Why did that happen? Uh, Was it jealousy that robbed Saul of the life that God wanted him to have? Was it jealousy that made uh, Saul live this very miserable life? You know what the Bible says, the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 14.30 says, Jealousy rots the bones. Do you recognize this tune, this playing? Anybody know the name of this tune? Jealousy, very good. That made it easy when they said jealousy right then. Worked out just perfect. So Proverbs says that, think about this, anger is cruel and wrath like a flood, but jealousy is even more dangerous. Think about this, a flood of wrath, that's got to be pretty bad, right? Like a flood of wrath has got to be really bad. Jealousy is worse than a flood of wrath. Socrates said that jealousy is an ulcer to our souls. We're told in Galatians chapter 5 that if we're envious, if we're jealous, that we can't inherit the kingdom of God whoa, think about that. We can't inherit the kingdom of God if we're envious, if we're jealous of somebody. We're told in Acts chapter 8 that Peter comes across a person who's really jealous and he says, "You, you have poisoned yourself with jealousy. Like, It's poison in your system to be jealous of somebody. Oliver Stone even gets in on the act when he says, Never underestimate the power of jealousy to destroy your life. Well, jealousy destroyed King Saul's life. So that's enough of the song. Thank you very much, uh, Ben. Here's the thing about uh, jealousy. Almost nobody, it's the great news, almost nobody suffers with jealousy. Like, it's non-existent. And maybe it's like 1% or 2% of the population suffer with jealousy. It's incredible. I've been in the ministry for more I've been preaching sermons for more than 20 years. Never once, never one time has anybody asked me to preach on jealousy or envy. I might have preached, I think I can remember one sermon that I preached and it was completely irrelevant because nobody suffered with it. So when I talk to people about envy and jealousy, like we had this talk, he like, yeah, yeah, it's terrible. It's rot your bones. But then they all say the same thing. They say to me, but you know, the great thing is I just don't suffer with it. And I say, well, funny coincidence, neither do I. You know, but somebody out there must suffer with jealousy. So here's the thing. This message today is going to be incredibly irrelevant to like 99.9% of you in this room. It'd be crazy if there was somebody who did. But since since King Saul did, and since it's kind of like the driving point of chapters 18 and 19 of 1 Samuel, I figure, hey, what the heck, let's give one Sunday and let's talk about this thing called jealousy because it's since it drove his life and it just robbed him of so much. So uh, try to hang with me if you can, if it's okay, and just think about other people that you know that are just incredibly envious, jealous people. Jealousy is a gateway drug right? It's a gateway sin. It's a gateway drug. You read through this story of Samuel and you see all this stuff that kind of, it manifests itself. It starts with jealousy, right? It starts with jealousy. But then all this other stuff comes from the jealousy that Saul is feeling. Think about this. Here's the stuff that if you read through those chapters that he experienced, a lot of anger, a lot of impatience, a lot of anger, a lot of broken relationships, like close, like like his kids, his own kids, his terrible relationship with his own kids because of his jealousy. The jealousy is driving the whole thing. Worry. He's filled with worry. So where, where did the worry start? It started with his, like, how did he get to worry? He got to worry because he was jealous First, maybe if you maybe by chance you know somebody out there that struggles with worry. Well, for King Saul, the worry began, the fear began that he feels. We just read about Devin just read about that a minute ago. It started with jealousy. Worry, fear, insecurity. It all starts with jealousy. We read just a second ago that he was mentally tormented. It says this evil spirit comes from God. You're like, Man, whoa, what does that mean? The evil spirit's coming from God. We, don't have, we, we can't get into what that means right now, but I want to tell you one thing. what In the original language the Hebrew that was written, in, when it says this evil spirit, it means an injurious. I didn't even know that was a word, injurious, but this is what it means. A spirit of injury to his mind. So he was so jealous, like his mind was under torment, like being attacked because of jealousy. It was the gateway to all these things. There are two types of jealousy, two predominant types of jealousy. Number one type, I wish that person didn't have what they have. All right, that's the first type. Here's the second type I wish I could take away what that person has. That would make it a little more evil, but both of them are bad. The second one's even more, I wish I could take away. Saul had both types. He, had, but he was working on both types. Here now, some people uh, when I talk to them, you know, about this subject of envy and jealousy, is you know what, you know, I, I don't feel jealous because you know I so many things are great in my life. My life is just so great. I just count my blessings. Just, everything is so good. I count my blessings, and that just keeps me from jealousy. But I'm not sure counting your blessings is awesome. I'm not discouraging that. Don't read me wrong. But I'm just wondering, is it a good antidote to jealousy? Does is that effective? Because my question is, what happens if your circumstances change? Is it, is it is it open season on jealousy then? So you're counting your blessings now, but what happens when the blessings blessing count goes down? Does all of a sudden things you know go bad? I had an experience a few years ago where um, my, my my in-laws they they love to go on cruises. They, they they take cruises on the big ships and stuff. They love to go on because when you're on a cruise, they treat you like kings and queens and. Lord knows my in-laws love to be treated like kings and queens. So they love to go on the cruises, but I just knew at heart that I'm not a cruiser. I'm just not, uh, you know, being out on a big boat. Not, if you love cruises, it's awesome, but it's just not me. I just knew it wasn't going to be me and the big boat and all that and drinking until you're, you know, can't see straight. I just knew that it wasn't going to be me, but I agreed to go because it would make them happy and and somebody gave me a bunch of timeshare points, like a lot of timeshare points. And you can use the timeshare points to reduce your cost for the cruise. So, like, I went dirt cheap, which made me feel fantastic. You know what I'm saying? I'm going on the cruise. I'm there. I'm halfway through the cruise. I'm on it cheap, beautiful water, awesome place. I'm on it cheap. Making, so I'm counting my blessings. I feel great. Halfway through the cruise, I meet this guy. And uh, he has the audacity to tell me that he is on the cruise for half the price that I'm on it. It was the worst conversation I could possibly have in my life. All of a sudden, all the blessings that I was counting, gone. They're all gone. I'm miserable. I'm jealous of this guy. I'm hating on this guy. And I, I'm, At night, I'm thinking about this guy. I can't believe it. How did I miss that on the deal? So I'm just wondering, wondering if a good antidote to jealousy is counting our, our, our blessings. Although counting your blessings is a great thing. But think about this. Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28 tells us the story of Lucifer. He's an angel in heaven. He's one of the top three guys. There's Gabriel, there's Michael, right? Gabriel who makes all the announcements by God. Michael who's like God's general, right? He's fighting all the wars for God, the mighty angels. And the third mighty angel's name is Lucifer. And who does Lucifer become? He becomes Satan. And we're told he becomes Satan because he becomes jealous of God. Now, I want you to think about this. Everybody, think about this a second. Could circumstances get any better than being in heaven? Like, you want to count your blessings? Can you really compare your blessings to actually being in heaven? Heaven. Like, things can't get any better than heaven, can they? But even in heaven, counting his blessings, Lucifer, it did not stop him from feeling jealous. Let's go for somebody else. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are in paradise. Paradise. Do you live in paradise? No, you don't live in paradise. I don't care how good you think your life is, you don't live in paradise. And they're in paradise. And when they're in paradise, they become jealous of God. They become jealous of God and they end up getting thrown out of paradise. So I'm wondering if counting our blessings is a good antidote to jealousy. There must be something else for us and this is what we want to talk about this morning jealousy is is when you say you know God I want a different life than the life you're offering me so God gives Adam and Eve simple rule one rule you know about the tree stay away from the tree and they're like you know what we're jealous for a different life. You're laying too many rules on us. We, you know, you've given us this one rule. It's too much. Too much of a burden for us to bear. We're envious of a different life, and this is what they are saying. So Saul is extremely de- jealous of David, but his jealousy problem did not start when he met David. It started many years before, because God had spoken th- certain things to Saul. Do this, and Saul says, "I'm jealous for a different life." He wanted to live a different life. Same thing happens to Adam and Eve. Same thing happens to Lucifer. Now, if I can do this real quick, First Samuel chapters 18 and 19, awesome. Absolutely awesome chapters. We don't have time to get, it would be like five, six sermons to do this. So we're just going to hit the high points. Real quick. I'm going to go through it. Boom, 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 boom. All the way through these chapters. I encourage you, if you haven't read it, please take a moment. Phenomenal reading. Here's where it starts. And this is really cool. It's like bookends. It starts with a royal robe. Yes beginning of chapter 18 starts with a royal robe starts with it also ends with a royal robe we'll get there in just a second but it starts with a royal robe jonathan who is the king's son He is the next king to be. He is going to be king. He's in line for all that power, all that money, all that prestige. He's got his royal robe on, and here's what he does. He voluntarily takes it off because it was God's will. He takes it off, and David, who is what we call a type of Christ, he represents. Remember we said last week, as Jesus says, he goes with his his disciples on the road to Mesa, every story that you read in the Old Testament, somewhere in that story is an example of me. That's what Jesus says. So who's the example? in this story. David is the example of Jesus and how all of us should take off of our royal kingly robes. We are kings of our own lives. We should voluntarily take it off and put it on Jesus Christ. So that's how it begins. Saul becomes insanely jealous. Problem with his son, Jonathan, problem with his other kids. So remember David beats the Goliath. He's supposed to get one of Saul's daughters as his bride. Well, Saul doesn't make good on that promise right away. And he says to David, Hey, look, you go out and fight all these battles for me, and I'll give you my daughter's hand in marriage. And he's thinking, Let the Philistines kill him. Yeah, this is crazy. David is his all star quarterback. David's winning every game, he's winning every Super Bowl. He's advancing Saul's kingdom all over the place. And he is so insanely jealous that he can't even think straight. He wants. The Philistines to kill David. Well, eventually, he doesn't give. He doesn't give the daughter. The daughter's given away to somebody else, but there's another daughter. There's a next youngest down. Her name is McCall. And Saul says something very interesting about his daughter. He says, You know what? McCall loves David, which drove Saul crazy. Loves David. I'll give her because she's going to be a snare. Now, that's weird. She's going to be a snare against them. Why is she going to be a snare against them? It's like Saul just against marriage. Is marriage a bad thing for us spiritually? Is there something? I don't know. We'll find out in just a moment. But there's really, really weird. So this is what King Saul says. So grooms back then, before they get married, they had to do this bride price. They had to pay something in order to the parents to get married. And so here's what King Saul says. You ready for this? This is in the Bible. You should read it. If you haven't read it before, it's pretty cool. He says to him, he says, look, here's the bride price for you. Some of you are smiling already, so you know exactly what I'm getting ready to say. He says, I need you to bring me 100 Philistine foreskins. And that's the price that you're to pay. How many husbands out here paid that price to their father-in-law, their future father-in-law, to get their wife's hand? So here's what he says, I want you to give me... And so what's, what's King Saul thinking? He's thinking, here's 100 opportunities. Because David personally has to kill 100 soldiers, personally has to. He's thinking, here's 100 opportunities for David to make a mistake. Surely the boy's going to make a mistake one time, right? He's going to slip one time. He's going to throw a right when he should have thrown a left. He's going to get killed. He's got 100 opportunities to die. So David says, I'll take that challenge. And he goes out. And you know what he does? He comes back. And he presents a basket full of 200 Philistine foreskins. Wouldn't you have just loved to have been there on that day when David just rolls into King Saul's court and says, I've got a big basket here of 200 Philistine foreskins, all in the Bible. You know what? This is so revered, you know, in Judaism. To this day, Jewish doctors do not charge due circumcisions. They work for tips. That's right. That's right. That's right. Okay. <clears throat> anyway, let's go. On. Let's move on. <clears throat> so, so after this, they they get married, right? They 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 get that was a is a joke. Just in case you're a Jewish doctor, <laughs> it's a joke. All right. So they get married. Mary's in McCall. Saul is still insanely jealous. He's crazy jealous. And one day, he's just looking at David. He's like, ah, I can't stand this guy. And he has a spear in his hand. He, throws, he says, I'm going to pin this guy to the wall. And he just... And he misses him. David loses him. David uh, runs. And he escapes. He gets to his house... And he hears later, because Saul's tried to do this kind of stuff to David before, and he thought, well, maybe he'll, the guy will cool down or whatever. Well, he's not cooling down. This time Saul's had it. He's going to send a bunch of soldiers to arrest David, to kill David. And McCall, the daughter of the king, finds out. She says, hey, look, David, you're going to need to escape. So David, the soon-to-be king, escapes out a window. And here's what McCall does. You ready for this? This is why she's a snare. Here's why she's, you wonder why, she's, why Saul said earlier that she's a snare? Here's why she's a snare to David. So she takes an idol and she places it in David's bed. Now this isn't like itty bitty idol like this. This is a full man-size idol. It's like five, six feet tall because when the soldiers come in, she's got the idol in the bed. She put a bunch of like hair on the idol and she says, hey look, he's sick. He's in bed. And they believe. They believe that idol is so big that it's man-sized. They believe, oh my gosh, he's sick in bed. And so out of respect, they don't take him away. They go back to Saul and say, he's sick in bed. And Saul says, I don't care. Bring him, bring the bed to me. I'll kill him in his bed. I don't care how sick he is. He's, he's going to die. And here's what, what was King Saul after? He knew this. He could not, he could not defeat. David. The only way that he would ever be able to defeat David is if he got David to put something else in front of God, the idol. She's an idol worshiper. She's got this big idol. Maybe she'll convince David to put something in front of God. David had a heart for God. Only person in the Bible, we're told, had a heart for God, which means what? He loves God more than anything else in life. God is first. God is foremost. And Saul says, if I can just get him to love something more than God, the boy is coming down. And I will be very happy to see him burn in flames. And that is what Saul's thinking. Well, David escapes. And so where does he go? He goes to the prophet Samuel. He goes to the guy that anointed him to be king. He goes to and says, Samuel, here's what's going on. And Samuel says, look, you've been through a lot, David. What we need to do is we need to go to church, right? You ever thought about that? When you're really down and you're struggling and the whole world's coming against you, you got to go to church. And so he goes to church. So so Samuel takes David to a church service. Now, this isn't any church service. Like, God is moving at this church service. And so they're there. The presence of God is there. They're having church. They're just doing it up. And Saul hears about it, so he sends some soldiers to where this church service is going on. And the soldiers get there, and they got their swords in their hand. They come in because they're going to arrest David. They're going to kill David. They got their swords in their hand. And the presence of God is so powerful in this church service, they put their swords down, and they put their hands up, and they start worshiping and praising God. Saul hears about it. He is some kind of ticked. He sends another group of soldiers. a group of soldiers get there they get to this church service they're there they come in and Saul you'd believe Saul lit them up says you better kill that guy the moment you see him they run in with their swords the power of God the presence of God is there they put their swords down they put their hands up and they worship and praise God third time it happens Sends a third group of soldiers, same thing. Swords down, hands up, praise God. Would you love to be in a church service like that? That's some kind of church service, man. It's incredible. So Saul says, I've had about all I can take of this. I'm going myself. I don't trust anybody else. I am so angry. And now here is where everybody, this gets really phenomenal, really incredible. Saul, right? Saul says, right? The Spirit of God has left left him. Saul has rejected his God. You won't be king. I'm going to be king. This is what Saul is saying. And so Saul, in his royal robes, everybody, he goes marching into the church service where David is. He's ready to kill David. And he gets there as he walks up. The Spirit of God falls upon Saul, and he has to strip off his royal robes. He has to God is saying, you will not be king in my presence. I don't care what you want to be or what you want to do. He has to strip it off. Check this out. Not only does he stripped it off, but we're told he lays naked in humiliation before God all day and night. So the story begins with with Jonathan voluntarily taking the robe off and saying, you know what? God, you're king. And the story ends with King Saul having his royal robes ripped off and him ending in humiliation. And it just so reminds me of the verse in Philippians chapter 2 that says, One day, one day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus says we have an opportunity to kind of fall in brokenness before him and acknowledge that he is king of kings and Lord of lords. But he says one day is going to come where if we don't fall in brokenness, that we will be crushed. We'll be, we'll be forced, we we'll forced to strip off our royal robes. And so what you see here is Jonathan who voluntarily says, yep, you're king. He ends in glory. He ends in glory. And what you have here is Saul who refuses God to be king, who ends in humiliation. So when we let God be God and say you're number one, I'm not number one, it ends in our glory. But when we refuse that, it ends in our humiliation. Same thing happened to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve say, hey look, We're going to be king of our lives. We're not going to obey you about this tree. We're not going to do what you say about the tree. And how does it end for them? They realize that they're humiliated, that they're naked before God, and they're ashamed. You know what? God wants to lead us towards glory in our lives, not towards humility. He wants to lead us away from humiliation. God wants nothing but our best and glory. But that involves us saying, God, you are the king of my life. You're the king of my life. And that's the story of Saul stripping off his robes. It is Phenomenal. Now listen, everybody, we can be jealous about a lot of things. I just want to focus on one singular thing this morning. So much that we could be jealous of. There's so much that we could talk about things in this life that we could be jealous of, right? There are family members this morning that we could be jealous of. Maybe we got a brother or a sister. Maybe we got a, you know, a cousin or something like that. And they've done really well. And we can be jealous of that. And it just drives us nuts. And every time we go to a family gathering, we got to hear about, you know, look how good they're, doing, you know, and it just, it's just crazy. Uh, it could be a friend, it could be a coworker, somebody that you know. We we could be jealous of somebody's looks we could be jealous of somebody's riches how much money they make we could be jealous of somebody's spouse or somebody's house there's so many things somebody's power popularity there's just a happy person and it just drives us nuts when we're around them that they're so happy right we be jealous of that there are a million things in this life that we could be je- we could be jealous of a pet we could be jealous of a dog right let 's say something like, like your spouse has a dog he just loves that dog, it clearly loves a dog more than 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 loves you like if you walked in and the dog was sitting in your place where you sit at the di- at the dinner table right you 'd say, yeah, it makes sense because you love that dog. Or you walked into your bedroom and you're, that dumb, stupid dog is is, is laying right there where you sleep and your wife just looked at you and said, sleep on the floor, right? You know, you'd have every right in the world to feel jealous of the dog, but we're not going to talk about any of that this morning, right? <laughs> what, what we want to talk about this morning is one simple singular thing. And the thing we want to talk about this morning is this. Being envious of another life than what God is offering us being envious of another life. So there's what God wants for us which leads to our own glory and there's what we want that leads to our humiliation, right? So every time, listen to this, every time everybody, every time we sin, we are declaring that I am envious of a different life than what God is offering to me. Every time I sin, every time you sin, what, what we are declaring in that is I'm jealous for a different life. Father, than what you're offering. Think about this. Um, Tim Keller, who's a pastor up in New York City, he likes to say this all the time. So God gave Adam and Eve one rule. God says, obey me about the tree. Obey me about, that's it. Obey me about the tree. And they refused. And they end up in humiliation. And so God says to his son, Jesus Christ, what does he say to Him? He says the exact same thing. Obey me about the tree. Obey me about the tree. A cross wasn't like these two beautiful looking things that we buy from Home Depot. A cross in Jesus' day 2000 years ago was a tree. And the Father says, to the son, obey me about the tree. And what does that lead to? It leads to the glory of Jesus Christ. And for all those who proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord, it leads to their glory as well. Obey me about the tree. Every time we sin, every time we sin, what we're basically declaring is, I am jealous. I'm envious of a different life than the life the God is offering me. So that's what I want to focus on here very briefly this morning. Now, trust. What I want to suggest to you is counting our blessings, though awesome, is not the great antidote to envy and jealousy. The great antidote is trust. So I'm presented with a situation that's very tempting. I say, you know what? I would rather have this life over here than the life God's offered me. Why am I going to choose this life over here as opposed to God's over here? Why would I choose that? Because I don't trust in God. And the only reason I would choose God's way and follow His laws and follow His principles and follow His rules is because I trust the person who's laying down the laws and principles and rules that he has my best interest in mind. And so I say, I trust in you. Now the thing is in life, it's very difficult to do that because we're tempted not to do that. So how do we build our trust up? And here's where it gets really good. Here's where it gets really great. because David wrote so many of the psalms. He wrote so many and what are psalms? Psalms are a window into David's mind, to his thoughts, to his actions, what he's writing, what he's saying, what he's doing as he goes through these different situations. First Samuel 19, "The soldiers come to, to come to get uh, David. What's he thinking? What's he thinking when his father-in-law is throwing a spear at him? What's he thinking? I mean, David had every opportunity in the world, every right in the world to be jealous of other people who are not having spears thrown at them, who are not being slandered. And what we have in Psalm 59, he wrote it for what was going on in his life in 1 Samuel 18 and 19, and that's why it makes so awesome. For us, because now we can see, what do we do? What do we do when we're facing tough times or when we need to grow our trust in God? So here's three things, ready? Here we go. So the first thing we see is that David waits. He says it clearly in Psalm 59. Psalm 59, 9, he says, I will wait for you. Why would somebody wait for anybody? Why would somebody wait for anybody? I don't wait, I'm an impatient person. I'm not gonna wait for anybody unless I trust I'm not going to wait for anybody unless I trust them. And so David is declaring here, I'm going to wait for you. Why am I going to wait for you? I'm going to wait for you because I trust you. I trust that you have my best interest in mind. And when we wait, we wait on God. We're told that God clothes us with power and with strength. Isaiah 40. But those who wait, those who trust on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The last words of Jesus Christ are contained in Acts chapter 1 where he says, "Wait for the promise of the Father." What's the promise of the Father? That the Holy Spirit will descend upon your life. You know what we're told that happens when the Holy Spirit descends upon a person's life? That person completely changes. You know the Bible says that, completely changes when the Holy Spirit descends upon your life. And so he says, "Wait on the Holy Spirit." How do how do I how do I have the Holy Spirit descend upon my life? How am I transformed as a person? You know, I read all these stories about people and God's presence is on them and all this. How does that happen? Why that? Here's how it happens. You wait on God. You wait on God. And the only reason you'll wait on God is because you trust in God. And so David waits on God. Now, what's fascinating here is in 1 Samuel 13, the, when, when God tells Saul, King Saul, you're going to lose the kingdom. You're going to lose the kingdom. You know what happens? You know why he lost the kingdom? Because Saul refused to wait. You refuse to wait. Samuel says, Saul, you go to this place and you're gonna have to fight against this army, but you wait till I get there, and we're gonna have a church service first. We're gonna have a church service, and then after church service is over, you can go to battle. But first you have to wait for me. Don't do a thing till I get there. And Saul refuses to wait. Refuses to wait. David is waiting upon God. You want to be clothed with power on high? You have to simply wait on God. And the reason you'll wait is because you trust in God. That's the first thing, yes. He Here's the second thing. David writes. So I often maybe you think like I do. Maybe your mind goes, okay, wait. What does that mean? What do I do when I'm waiting? Does that mean I just like sit in a chair and I'm just sitting there? What am I what am I doing? Do I video game? Can I play video? Is it, is, does that count if I play video games and I'm waiting on God at the same time? Do I sleep? So like I'm doing nothing. Do I sleep? Do I, you know, go out and smoke a cigarette? While I'm, what, what do I do? Tell me what that looks like to wait upon God. Well, here we go. David tells us exactly what he does while he's waiting. This is where it's awesome. He writes. And what does he write? He writes, God, deliver me. God, protect me. God, save me. God helps me. Look, David had a prayer journal. It didn't look like this, but he had some kind of journal. Now, I use something like this. I use a notebook. I have my own prayer journal. That's what the book of Psalms are, an unfiltered prayer journal. So David has like his own prayer journal. And what he's writing every day, this is how he's waiting. He's saying, God protect me. God save me. God." He's, look, David is saying when he says God protect me, save me, deliver me, all this stuff, what he's saying to God is is God, I'm not going to make my own way out of this mess. I'm looking for you to show me your way out of the mess that I'm in. We can really mess our lives up when we get in a mess and we try to do it our way, not God's way to come out of the mess and then just gets worse and worse and worse. And what David is saying, I'm in a really bad situation, God I'm asking you to save me your way, deliver me your way. And he writes that. And what I want to encourage you to do is get a notebook today and just start writing. God, save me, deliver me, help me. Now look. Some of us are thinking, we're in really bad job situations. Some of us in this room, like, you got a bad job situation. You think, man, I've got to figure my way out of this job situation that I'm in. It's so bad. I got a boss. The boss is terrible. I got coworkers. They're terrible. My financial situation, whatever, right? You got a really bad job situation. You got to figure your way out. Do you think your job situation is any worse than King David? Do you think, I mean, his boss is throwing spears at him. Anybody here have a boss that's actually trying to spear you at work? Like, hey, come here, man. Good morning. Good to see you. You know, how many of us have a boss like that? So if you want to come here, or how about this? Some of us think we got really bad families. Some of us think, you know, my in-laws, man, if you had to put up with my mother-in-law, I'm saying that not, I mean, mine. I mean, my real mother-in-law, I'm just saying facetiously, right? So uh if you had to put up with my in-laws, well, this guy's father-in-law is trying to kill him, conniving, scheming, wants him dead. Do you have an in-law like that? Are your in-laws really honest i mean if they are you should talk to the police but if you're right do you have it that bad i'm telling you this guy had it bad and so what he says is god i'm looking for your way out of this because you're my deliverer you're my protector you're my savior that's who you are and look look you have got to write that down you have got to get a journal book and do the exact same thing that david does david builds his trust in god and defeats jealousy in his life of course he was jealous you don't think he was jealous he's got everybody else in the royal courts there nobody else has a spear being thrown at him I would feel jealous if I'm the only one with spears flying at me. I'm like, man, Saul, could you throw a spear at this guy over here sometime? I would feel jealous. But you know what defeats it? He trusts in God. He trusts in God. He trusts in God. And the only way we're going to build our trust up in God is say, God, you're my deliverer. I'm not my deliverer. You are my deliverer. And he writes in this Psalm 59, he writes, he says, you know what? They came snarling for me at night. Well, who else snarled at King David? He remembers God's past victories, how God in the past had delivered himself. So so Goliath snarled at David, and he mocked David, and he mocked David's God. And so David's remembering, you know what, God, you delivered me before, you'll deliver me again. Or the lion and the bear that David writes about that was attacking his sheep, snarling. He says, God, you delivered me from the lion, you delivered me from the bear, you will deliver me again. This is how he builds his trust in God. Third and final thing is this, David declares... He makes a declaration. And so what he writes in his journal, this is the kind of stuff he writes. He says, God, you are my fortress. You're my defense. You're my refuge. You are my God. He is making these declarations that, God, you're my refuge, my defense. You're my strength, my high tower, my strong. You're going to protect me. God, that is who You are. The Bible tells us there's power in words. And these are the words that are flowing from David's pen. These are the things that David is thinking and he's speaking and he's writing. We're told there are power in words. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, he will save us. This is what David did to grow his faith. Think about this. David trusts in God and it leads to his glory. Saul does not trust in God and it leads to his humiliation. The same thing with Adam and Eve. The same thing with Lucifer. We have a great example of this this weekend. We celebrate Dr. King's birthday. Dr. King could have been very envious and very jealous of other people who had incredible privileges beyond him. But instead of being poisoned by the bitterness of jealousy, he chose to do what? He chose to trust in God. And today we celebrate his life because that's glorious, right? We celebrate it. We don't celebrate King Saul. We celebrate King David today. We don't celebrate other people who in their own envy and jealousy. What we celebrate is people like Dr. King who said, you know what? I'm going to trust in God. Even though things are terrible, I'm going to trust. And so that is just why trust is the antidote to something we all face, jealousy in life. Jealousy. We have to trust in God. And so David says, God, I declare, I will trust in you. The Bible says God inhabits the praises of his people. When you are saying, God, you're my refuge, you're my strength, what you're proclaiming is truth. And when you proclaim truth, God shows up. When you proclaim truth, God shows up. I want to encourage you to get a notebook today and start proclaiming truth. Let it roll from your pen. Tell God that He is your refuge and strength. He is your deliverer. Let that truth go. And what we all really want in life is for God to show up and descend upon us. We see this happen in David's life. Okay, I got one last thing I want to talk to you about, and we're going to conclude this. Baptism. Next week, we're having a baptism. What is baptism really all about? What, 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 what's happening in Baptist? You know what baptism is, everybody? Baptism is like a trust fall, right? You've done trust falls before, right? Everybody? Trust falls? Everybody know what I'm talking about? The three of you nodded your head at me. So what a trust fall is, everybody, is when you know you fall back and somebody catches you. That's the same thing that happens in baptism. Romans chapter 6, right? It says that we are burying ourselves. We're like we're falling back and we're trusting fully in God. You know what I love about the series about David is the things that he does are very tangible. They're very physical. Baptism, everybody is a physical, tangible act of where you get a chance to make a declaration before God that, God, I trust in you. It's not just a ritual. Oh, we do this ritual that we call baptism. There's no power in that. There's, there's, there's no power in that. You want me to tell you what the power is? The power is, is when you say, I'm being baptized because, God, I trust you. I am making a declaration to the world that I trust in in god i trust in jesus christ my savior first church i worked in everybody was a church in a rural area of maryland they didn't have a baptismal we baptized old style down by the river and the first baptism we did was like in may or june and let me tell you something about water around here in may or june in rural maryland it is freezing cold it's like 50 degrees next week the water here on the stage is going to be 98 degrees there's no excuse but there is very 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 cold and i remember three distinct things three distinct things about the very first baptism as me as a uh, as a youth pastor to church up in maryland three distinct things first thing i remembered boy that water was cold the second thing that that i remember from that baptism service is i remember this so clearly um first baptism and and here we are down by the river it's kind of in a secluded area and there's like a little bridge over here your car's going by every now and then because it was kind of secluded and one of this old one of these old guys from church pulled me I didn't even know the guy very well pulls me aside and he said hey John let me tell you about a story that happened a couple years ago that we were here doing a baptism and we're singing and you know we're carrying on there was a guy sleeping under the bridge and we got to carrying on and singing and had guitars out and all this stuff. And we're baptizing people. And it woke the guy up. I mean, he had uh, been drinking, I guess, been celebrating something. And he fell asleep underneath the bridge. And so the guy kind of gets up and stands up. And the preacher sees him. And the preacher looks over at him. And he says, hey, brother, do you want to find Jesus? And the guy says, uh, okay. So... Uh, the guy comes on down, you know, to the water, and preaches, "Come, come here, come in, come in." So the guy, you know, boom, he just, boom, he just rolls right into the water, and the preacher says, "Are you ready to find Jesus?" He says, yeah, okay. And so the preacher takes him, you know, about this high water, and just boom, just down underneath the water, and holds him there for about five or so seconds. It pulls him up and looks at him, you know, and says, "Did you find Jesus?" And the guy says, "No, I, I didn't. I didn't find Jesus." And the preacher's Boom, down on the water. Holds him there for like 15 seconds, pulls him back up. Did you find Jesus? And the guy says, No. And so the preacher gets ready to throw him again. The guy says, No, no, wait, wait. Are you sure this is where he fell in? Not sure. I remember that thing distinctly from my first <laughs> baptismal service as a youth pastor. I, was, I remember the old boy telling me, and I'll tell you about the third and final thing I distinctly remember, for, third and final thing. We had a guy at this church, a guy's 40-some years old, deep thinker, I think he was an engineer, very deep thinker, very deep thinker, and he'd been coming to church for a long time because his family came to church. That's why he came, right? And so his wife drug him to church, and he really struggled with this thing. He really struggled with trust really i mean he thought and thought and thought and thought about it. and finally one day one day he said no that's it i got it i've thought this i've thought this thing through i've prayed and, and he really tr- i mean he really trusted and when he really trusted he said that's it i'm gonna be baptized and he said you know what i want to declare that i trust in jesus christ in my Savior. so this is why he's getting baptized he's not doing a ritual act what he's doing he's proclaiming his trust here's what i'll never forget we baptized that guy i was standing right on the side of the right on the side of the water now think about this when jesus christ was baptized we're told the holy spirit descended upon him in power we baptized this guy he trusts he came out of the water he had a different look it was like light was shining on this guy his whole face changed it's like the power of god came upon him here's what i want to encourage you to do if you have never been baptized be baptized you proclaim your trust in god not a ritual act your trust in God and God will descend upon you that's what we're praying for next week when we do our baptism right here now Brian Parker is leading a class today you don't have to go to the class but if you want to ask you want to go seek whatever you can send Brian right now you can take out your uh, your little smartphone right and you can look in the bulletin right here it has Brian's email address got his text got his phone number you can send him a text right now you know what I'm interested because next week we're just going to say anybody wants to be baptized come on down We did this about three months ago, one of the most powerful services we ever did here uh, in 2013. It is a wonderful, powerful time, and we're believing, as you trust in Jesus Christ, as you take that trust fall into Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit is going to fall upon your life and there'll be transformations. That's baptism. We encourage you to be baptized next week. It's a wonderful thing. Now, today's communion. So all those who are helping us communion, why don't you come on forward, take your places, and I'm going to explain very, very briefly communion and what it's all about. So here, logistically, if you're new to grace, here's how we do communion. You're going to see at five different locations throughout this auditorium, different spots, one, two, there'll be one right back over there in the middle and over here where you can go to communion. In a few moments, I'm just going to say a simple prayer, and then we're going to allow you to get up and take communion whenever you would feel so moved to take communion. And when you walk up to those serving you communion, you're going to see a plate of bread. And on that plate of bread, there'll be little squares of bread. You can just pick up one, and then you step to the side, and there'll be another person holding a cup. You take the bread and just dip it in the cup, pull it back out. You can consume it right there. You can go back to your seat. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. It is 1155. We are not even an hour into this service. Can you believe it? I know it seems like you've been here for five hours, but actually you've only been here for 55 minutes, okay? How do we get clothed with power on high? How do we grow our trust in God? We wait on God. Can, can you give God five, six, seven, ten of your minutes where you'll take communion and go back to your seat and say, God, I'm just waiting on you. I'm trusting in you. I'm going to believe that you're going to deliver me, save me, help me. You are my refuge. The uh, music team has put together a very special song for this. Listen to the words of the song. Allow it to speak to your heart. But can you wait on God? When you take communion, everybody, here it is. This is not a ritual. What communion is, the body of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus, the life, the blood of Jesus Christ in exchange for our lives. And what we're saying is, is God in communion, we're making a declaration. I'm not trusting in myself. I can't be good enough to be saved before a holy and perfect God. I am trusting in Jesus Christ and him alone. And I'm declaring that today as I take communion. That's what communion is all about it's a declaration of our trust in jesus christ as the lord and the savior of our lives let's pray heavenly father i thank you for how your word is so powerful and it's practical lord right here this morning there are those of us we're we're, we're, you know we're struggling with stuff we're struggling with life and lord we just need you to um, intervene in our lives in these next few moments I just ask that your presence would descend upon this room and that you would encourage us, that you would sit down next to us, that you would lift us up. Some of us can't figure a way out. God, I pray that you would encourage us and give us hope this morning that you are our way out. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you loved us so much that you gave your life for us. Bless the eating of this bread and the drinking of this cup for the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. Father, I thank You that You have our best in mind, that Your desire is to lead us towards glory and away from humiliation by Your mercy and by Your grace. Thank You so much. Father, help us to overcome jealousy and envy of any other life outside of the best that You have for us and to choose trust in You. In Christ's holy name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9 30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.